the resources about estrogen dominance were sparse. Some of them were incorrect and worse still, they were like all over the place, right? So like sometimes you have somebody blogging about it, could be a doctor or a nurse practitioner who's really knowledgeable, but only focuses on one thing, maybe breast cancer, right? But it doesn't look at what about fibroids? What about thyroid nodules? And so that's when I decided to put everything together into the book. It's called Overcoming Estrogen Dominance, just come out. And it's to really help women, empower women, what to do about this hormonal imbalance. Has this happened to you? You're in your mid-30s or 40s, and suddenly you don't even recognize yourself anymore. You start gaining weight, especially around your belly. PNS symptoms hit you like a bag of bricks, and you seriously think you are going to kill someone. Heavy bleeding, intense cramping, and uncomfortable bloating become the norm for your period. Your breasts feel very heavy, tender, and fibrous. You can't sleep, and you are feeling tired all day long. Now, I'll be honest. When I was in my mid to late 30s, 36, 37, I was not feeling so hot, and I was definitely not comfortable in my body. I experienced these exact symptoms, and initially, I just chalked it up to unusually bad periods. I had fibrocystic breasts, migraines that dominated my life the day that my period started, crazy mood swings that took me by surprise, bloating, and heavy bleeding that made me carry an extra change of clothes just in case. Now eventually, I got really tired of these symptoms and took a deeper dive into what was going on because I was not willing to accept that these were just bad periods. I knew that my menstrual cycle was off and I wanted to figure out what was causing my hormones, especially estrogen and progesterone, to be off. I wanted to put a name to what I was experiencing and that's when I found it. I was dealing with estrogen dominance and it was in conjunction to my low thyroid function due to Hajimoto's thyroiditis, but I would find that out a little bit later. Now today, I wanna focus on estrogen dominance. Now, although estrogen dominance can start as early as girls in their teens, because goodness knows we have a lot of toxins and endocrine disruptors in the environment these days, but when we typically see a lot of estrogen dominance is during perimenopause, when women have too much estrogen relative to progesterone because progesterone is dwindling down as the first hormone to decline during our mid to late 30s and 40s in perimenopause. And some women can suffer from symptoms of estrogen dominance for 10 to 15 years beginning as early as age 35 in relation to that perimenopause shift. Now, I had my worst symptoms of estrogen dominance at the age of 37, but it probably started around age 36. I had just not really noticed at the time. You see, all things are often a spectrum, right? Inflammation is a spectrum. Your period symptoms could be a spectrum. Like initially, they're okay and tolerable, but then over time, they get worse. That's usually when we really start to pay attention. Now, here's the hard truth that most doctors don't know. Estrogen dominance is at an all-time high for women who are 35 years old or older, and it has been linked to allergies, autoimmune disorders, breast cancer, uterine cancer, infertility, ovarian cysts, increased blood clotting, fibroids, and is associated with the acceleration of aging. Plays a major role in us as women as we go into our 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. Now, it's an area that we need to look more closely at, and it's why I write about it in my newest book, The Essential Oils Menopause Solution. And to get this conversation started today, I have invited my dear friend and fellow hormone expert, Magdalena Wazowski, to talk about how to overcome estrogen dominance. And it's why she decided to write an entire book on the topic. 
Now she came on the podcast back in 2020 to talk about this. We're going to go even deeper today. So let's jump into this amazing conversation with Magdalena. But before that, I want to quickly sing her praises. Magdalena is the founder of Hormones Balance, an online community dedicated to helping women rebalance their hormones naturally. She's a certified nutrition coach, herbalist, and a published bestselling author of the book, Cooking for Hormone Balance. She's an author, speaker, and educator. Now her newest book, which is out now, is called Overcoming Estrogen Dominance. I can't wait to have this conversation. Welcome her to the show. Hey, one more thing. During a time when women are told that feeling exhausted all day long and weight gain is just a part of life after 40, I am here to debunk those myths so that we can stop believing them today. We've been told to expect hot flashes, weight gain, brain fog, low libido, and irritability. But what if perimenopause and menopause didn't have to be a struggle? In my newest book, The Essential Oils Menopause Solution, I lay out a proven 21-day hormone balancing program complete with meal plans, recipes, supplementation, herbal therapies, and self-care rituals designed to boost energy, metabolism, libido, mental clarity, and reverse a myriad of symptoms affecting millions of women today. You always deserve a body that works for you. And if you're feeling less than your best, you deserve solutions that promote actual healing. In as little as 21 days, the Essential Oils Menopause Solution book will help you skyrocket your energy, balance your hormones, and achieve long-lasting health. It's available for pre-order right now, so go grab your copy, plus my bonus menopause toolkit of $500 value at eomenopausesolution.com. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Magdalena, honey, how are you doing today, girl? I'm doing really well. Thank you. It's like the second week of my book launch, you know, week. So it's, uh, it can be taxing, but also it's exhilarating how much response we've been getting from women, you know, about estrogen dominance. So I think it's like, it's like, oh, okay, that was worth it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my goodness. And this is the audience and the community to talk about estrogen dominance. We got to have you on last year talking a little bit about this and we're going to go diving in deeper because you've got a new gorgeous book. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm so, so excited. I'm so excited to get my copy. I'm hoping it's on the way right now. But this is an issue that affects millions of women. And so often they don't even know that they're dealing with it. So let's talk about kind of what was the impetus? What was the defining moment for you, Magdalena, where you knew you wanted to focus on this and you also, you wanted to like double down and write a a book that provides really incredible research solutions. When I started my practice 12 years ago, I did it because I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease and hypothyroidism. And I worked on that first. And that's what my practice was all about. But then I started realizing, and as I was dealing with more and more patients, but clients, but also with my own health, that typically Hashimoto's or any one hormonal imbalance never ends there. It's always, it's always, almost always coupled up with something else. And the condition that I was seeing a lot of women suffering from was was estrogen dominance. And as I started researching more and more, meaning that I have a woman walking in saying, I've got Hashimoto's, but she also have lumpy breasts. She will have Hashimoto's, but she would also have terrible periods, right? She would have Hashimoto's, but she would also have fibroids, right? Or her mom has passed away from estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, or she's been having gallbladder problems, right? So all of those things. And as I started researching more and more, 
I realized that it is a condition, it is a hormonal imbalance that so many women are impacted more by, actually, I think even more than Hashimoto's, you know, in actual numbers. And yet it is so underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed and unaddressed or dismissed by conventional medicine doctors, right? And so, and there's this wait and see attitude, meaning you have thyroid nodules, we wait. You have period problems, get, get on birth control pills, right? And there were so little solutions and, you know, women telling me, like, my doc asked me to get on birth control pills, even though I don't even have a partner. <laughs> right. Not using it for conception, not using it to right. not get pregnant, using it exactly. for, let's do this, this blanket cure-all birth control, which we know isn't doing anyone any favors. So what happened was, you know, and then I started realizing as I was going through the symptom, I was like, wait a second, I, I have a lot of those too. And, you know, it started, started coming together, the fact that I've always had very difficult periods in the past, being in a fetal position on the floor for the first two days of my period, all the way from day schools, always having a lot of swelling in my, my hands, bloating, feet were swollen, I couldn't take my shoes on or put them back on rather, couldn't take my rings off, right? Then in my 20s, I started developing lumpy breasts. And I think any woman who ever found a lump on her breast is just absolutely terrified by it. Just the fact itself that it's then you Google and you're convinced it's breast cancer and you're going to die in six months time. And then the question is, how do you get it diagnosed, right? So, and then, you know, having, having a conversation with my father several months after all of this and who said that, you know, we've been having women on both sides of my family having always problems with you know, what, what they call the women bits, right? And a realization that I actually had so many aunts on both sides of my family who passed away from estrogenic cancers. And so I have ovarian, uterine, and breast cancers on both sides of my family. And not surprisingly, I inherited both the genes on both sides of the family, specifically the COMPT gene, but also having issues with the MAO gene, with the MTHFR gene, which are supportive. But really the COMP gene is the one that detoxifies you of estrogens. And out of the five COMP genes, I have three that are completely not functioning and, and there's only one and a half that actually works. So basically, like 80% of my body's ability to metabolize estrogen is compromised, right? So, you know, so, so that was the, the beginning of all of this. And, and then I realized that the resources about estrogen dominance were sparse. Some of them were incorrect and we're still, they were like all over the place. Right. So like sometimes you have somebody blogging about it, could be a doctor or a nurse practitioner who's really knowledgeable, but only focuses on one thing, maybe breast cancer. Right. But it doesn't look at what about fibroids? What about thyroid nodules? And so that's when I decided to put everything together into the book. It's called Overcoming Estrogen Dominance Just Come Out. And it's to really help women, empower women what to do about this hormonal imbalance, which really, you know, with full honesty, I, I feel like if you compare it to you know, what we call adrenal fatigue or the HPA access dysregulation or, or Hashimoto's disease, they really require a lot more multifactorial interventions to reverse those, you know, versus estrogen dominance. I feel like just with a few dietary changes and a couple of supplements, you can see results pretty quickly. So it, it is a sort of like, if you will, an easier hormonal balance to correct compared to other ones. And it can really save women's lives. One of the first questions I know a lot of women, I get women asking me about estrogen dominance all the time in my DMs and in my emails. And one of the questions a lot of women, because I know that I, I mean, this is love to ask you too. I see a lot of where I really start to see estrogen dominance ramp is in our, in our late thirties and our forties during perimenopause, when we already see progesterone levels dropping and tanking, but are there other age groups that you have seen estrogen dominance and the tail on that question 
a lot of menopause experts will say, well, estrogen dominance is a little teeny, teeny blip in the thing, and then you have complete estrogen depletion. But I believe that we can still be dealing with estrogen dominance even, even in menopause. Absolutely. I mean, this is the reason why women who have breast cancer are women who are the 55 to 75 is the, is the most prone demographic, if you will. This is also women who are low on estrogen, right? So why are they low on estrogen yet developing estrogen receptor positive breast cancers, right? And so that is absolutely correct that you can be low on estrogen and still have estrogen dominance. And the reason why that happens is because even though you're low on estrogen, the way you break down estrogens is unfavorable. So the estrogens get broken down, right, to various metabolites. And some of them are clean estrogens that are protective estrogens, the others that are dirty. I call them dirty estrogens just for simplicity of the term. They're basically antagonistic metabolites that cause the, a lot of the symptoms that we talked about. And this is really where the function of your liver can play a huge role in how you break down those estrogens. And also as we age, our liver is also not as efficient as it used to be. Think about it, right? Like, you know, maybe you and I back in college days, you will have like five shots of tequila. And the next morning you get up and go to for lectures and you're like perfectly fine. You might have like extra coffee, but you're like, no problem, right? I mean, try to do that now. Try to do that with one shot of tequila, right. let alone five shots of tequila. If you, if you do five, you'd be like, I swear, I'm never going to drink again, right? Ever. And so so it's, it's the efficiency of our liver that really plays a big role here. And that can manifest in form of estrogen dominance as well. But I've seen estrogen dominance with young women too. You know, women who are in their puberty. I mean, women with endometriosis, that's a very much of a pre-menopausal condition where you have the endometrium growing outside of the womb and then going into all sorts of places, including your digestive system and even colon and sometimes even your lungs, one of the most painful conditions that a woman can experience, right? And I had uh, many years ago when I was in my 20s, I had um, a roommate who had um, endometriosis and they induced menopause in her because you know she was a supermodel and she just couldn't cope with her life with that kind of pain. And so so there's, you know, it can happen to really pretty much old ages, all ages. I think a lot of that is because, again, we're talking about the liver, we're talking about the gut, right? All those phases of detoxification. Yes, even in our 20s, those may not be working optimally. And also, I know that there's multiple ways in which we we kind of see that estrogen dominance happening. You know, a lot of 20-year-olds, their maybe progesterone has tanked for somewhat, whatever reason that may be. And also with a lot of the products that we're using that we could see an increase in xenoestrogens that could be driving estrogen dominance. So although there's a kind of a sweet spot of an age group where we see a lot of it, I just don't want to take it off the table for women in their 20s and their even their early 30s and even in their 50s, because again, this isn't about, oh, you have estrogen at this age and then you don't. No, we're talking about your detoxification systems just not being up to par. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and I mean, girls in their 20s, I mean, this is where a lot of cosmetics enter their lives, right? A lot of skincare brands are targeting that demographic. I mean, you know, and I mean, you walk in, I'm sorry to call this out, but I mean, but I will. It's like you walk into Sephora and it's just a chemical concoction of the very chemicals that are causing estrogen dominance, like you mentioned, zero you know, estrogens, right? And your skincare products, your cosmetics. Fragrances, your perfumes. Yeah. Perfume is just one, a big one. And you know, remember that we spray our, we were taught to spray our perfumes where, like right here, right? And then right here in our throat. And I mean, those are exactly the points that, you know, here you're impacting your thyroid on the, on the bottom of your throat, right? And then potentially contributing to 
uh, thyroid nodules. And then, you know, have you ever seen somebody use or you've, you've been using progesterone, right? I mean, where do we apply a progesterone? That's where we apply Here, it. Yeah. It's part of the, the skin and it penetrates into the lymphatic system really quickly, the bloodstream, right? And this is also where we spray perfume. And I'm not demonizing, obviously, perfume that it's made with essential oils. That's a completely different ballgame altogether. We're talking about the synthetic ones. So, you know, absolutely, so that can happen to really pretty much to any age. And then bring into, furthermore, into the conversation, birth control pills, right? And then I'm saying in a sarcastic way, the least favorite thing, which your doctor tells you that this is the lowest dose possible. What the hell does that mean? I mean, have you heard of anybody being on a high dose of birth control pills? It doesn't exist. So it's a really wonderful spiel from a pharmaceutical company is really great, smart, smart marketing uh, move on their part. You know, one of the things that I also realized how estrogenic I am is now reflecting on it is that I was always super reactive to birth control pills. I've only been on, on a pill for six months of my life. It was, it was horrible six months. I had zero sex desire. I had, um, I put an incredible amount of weight. I felt really off, felt incredibly moody and didn't want to engage with anyone, right? Which kind of is contradictory to you know, you wanted to have sex actually. And I did it purely for contraception and that really backfired. And so one of the things that you will know is that you as a young person, if you ever reacted to birth control pills, that is an indication that you're also not metabolizing estrogen very well. It could be a genetic component to it. Which is like 50% of women. So uh, an interesting stat a lot of women don't know is that uh, 50% of women who go on birth control pills are off within the first year. Literally six months and I made it, I barely made it a year. And then I, I, and it was the worst year of my my life. And I am surprised I was able to get through that year. So yeah, a lot of us are struggling with issues already. I think has a lot to do with our toxic load, has a lot to do with stress and adding medications. And what, let's just speak into that low dose. Do you know that like the low dose birth control is significantly higher than synthetic hormone replacement? significantly. It's very, very scary. So I just wanted to just point that out. Yeah. So when women in their 40s are put on birth control pills for end-stage perimenopause, it's a significantly higher dosage than the concerns around hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. And then you might say, you know, I know some people or doctors will retort and say, well, yeah, but it's only, you know, it's only progesterone. So, but it's still progestin. It's progestin, which is fake and nasty. Sorry, I just yeah. get me so excited. Just get me lit up about this. Makes me so upset. Let's talk about maybe more empowering things. What can yes, we do? Okay, so <laughs> let's just, again, misdiagnosed. If you're dealing with symptoms, migraines, fibrocystic breast, bloating, brain fog, painful periods, heavy periods, all of this is estrogen dominance. And there's a good chance if you're even thinking to yourself, huh, have I done anything to support my liver lately? Then most likely you're probably dealing with, with a little bit of liver congestion and, and estrogen is not probably being detoxified in the proper way. So let's talk about, I know you've given us a little bit of hope in when we look at this, the, the landscape of all the different hormone issues that are going on, estrogen dominance, although it can be interconnected to some of these other hormone issues, can really be cleaned up when we support the liver and the gut. Oh my gosh, as I'm saying this to you, I felt a drop on my finger and I'm leaking um, breast milk. (laughs) I just, you know, it's real talk. You know, I'm like, what was that on my finger? Oh, it's breast milk. So let's talk about what we can do. And I know that this book is gonna go into a much more comprehensive protocol and program, but what are just some simple things? One, okay, wait, before we do that, how do we know? How do we even know? Because I feel like loving your liver, whether you know it or not, is always a great idea. But I know some of us want to know. 
So you can either test for it, you can go by symptoms. And so I'll start off with symptoms. We mentioned many of them. So you talked about periods, having difficult periods, absent periods, sporadic periods, periods that kind of show up whenever they want. But also having, you know, a lot of women, especially with low progesterone, you're talking about having spotting in the middle of your cycle, especially during ovulation. Suddenly you're finding yourself like you're not sleeping the way you used to. And so you wake up in the middle of the night, you are, you potentially have hot flashes, night sweats, the headache. So especially like before your period or around your ovulation, you suddenly find yourself with this horrendous headache that will go away as you proceed through the cycle. So that could be hormonal as well. You know, I, I mentioned fibroids. So this is fibroids are like a classical symptoms of estrogen dominance, but also uterine polyps uh, worth uh, mentioning that as well more, uh, let's just say, um, visual things that you see on a, on a woman, right, is things like melasma, so browning around like above your lips or having brown spotting around your forehead here. A lot of women have it on the sides here and especially gets even browner as you get sun exposure. And so melasma is, you know, it can be super annoying and then we go and do lasers on it or do some bleaching products and stuff like that and all of that work. Well, first of all, they damage your skin, they thin your skin, but they also will come back with a vengeance as they wear off. And so the way to deal with melasma is to really address your estrogen dominance and not just rely on topical things. Well, and also what I meant is like a Dutch test. Like if people really wanted to know what their pathways were doing, um, that they could have someone, one, run a Dutch test, and then you could actually see how estrogen is being metabolized through the different pathways. Yes. So that's, that's another, um, can I just finish like a couple of more symptoms? Cause I think, cause this, I think is kind of interesting. If you are pear shaped kind of a woman, like when you put on weight, it all goes in your butt and, and, and thighs and hips. It's definitely me. That is very estrogenic. Like women as co- contrast that with women who put on weight around their abdomen, it tends to be more of a metabolic high testosterone, high blood sugar levels situation. So I mentioned this because a lot of women hit the gym and they exercise a lot and they can't lose weight around that area. And that's, if you don't address estrogen dominance, then it's going to be really hard for you to lose that weight. And finally, I'll just mention, you know, all the estrogenic cancers. So estrogen positive breast cancer, but also progesterone receptor positive breast cancer um, is progesterone receptors is, is upregulated by excess estrogen. So a lot of women are confused by that, but also the cancer for uterine, ovarian, thyroid cancer, as well as thyroid nodules. And interestingly, lung cancers in non-smokers are all symptoms of estrogen dominance. And, you know, also I'll just mention one more is the gallbladder. So women who have a lot of problems with the gallbladder is kind of interesting because estrogen dominance can cause thickening of the bile, which then causes the growth of stones. And then you end up having your gallbladder removed, which is just really kind of crazy. You don't have to have that done, but that's just a Western medicine protocol today. Or the gallbladder is having issues because, for example, you're having a poor diet or you're having dairy sensitivity. A lot of dairy sensitivity actually causes gallbladder problems. You have your gallbladder removed. And then guess what? Six months later, you suddenly start showing symptoms of a lot of estrogen dominance that I talked about. And that happens because the bile is also there to bind up those dirty estrogens. So those are like, you know, broad stroke symptoms of, of that. Also infertility, miscarriages in the first trimester can also be very estrogenic. So that's about symptoms, you know, and, and if somebody wants to be like, hey, show me the proof of this, right? Dutch testing is definitely highly recommended. It shows you your levels of cortisol, which is also super important because cortisol and progesterone are not best friends. One, if, if one is cortisol is high, progesterone goes down, but also your testosterone levels, your estrogen levels, your, how you metabolize estrogen to your point. That's a really, really important marker. And that's probably my favorite thing. The reason why I would do Dutch tests. 
unfortunately, does the Dutch doesn't show you progesterone levels. It's only an estimate. So the progesterone levels, you want to do a reading through saliva testing. So like ZRT labs or Labrix, you can do saliva testing 24 hours. That's a very good test to do. And the one test I would not rely on is to do blood testing for hormones because it's, those numbers are incredibly inaccurate. But, you know, I just want to emphasize that if you, like if somebody doesn't have the budget to do testing, right, or doesn't have access, like say you're in a foreign country, you're listening to this, you don't have access, you know, just going by the symptoms alone, don't ignore those, right? And so just pay attention and just because you haven't been tested, it doesn't mean that it's, it's okay to ignore those symptoms. Agreed. And the beautiful thing is, is that at the end of the day, loving up on your liver and getting the right nutrients, there's so many side benefits to the doing this. And so you got a couple of those symptoms. It's worth doing the cleanup. It's worth going in and, and doing the work. And I know that the, so many people don't have access to the Dutch test. And, and But for those of you who do and you want to dive a little bit deeper and to kind of see the evidence, there it is. But it's symptom driven. I knew I had estrogen dominance a big chunk of my 30s. And I have the melasma to prove it, you know, um, and I had the migraines to prove it and the fibrocystic breasts to prove it and the heavy periods, you know, I had, I had the, the big symptoms around it. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Okay. So let's talk about what are some of the herbs and supplements that can help balance out these hormones? Like what are things that, that again, I can begin to start to implement and see some and start to notice the decrease in these symptoms? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a big fan of really starting off with a, a highly anti-inflammatory diet a diet that really brings the inflammation down. And it's really easy to do. You embark on something called the elimination diet. We eliminate gluten, dairy, soy, corn, eggs temporarily, reduce sugar as much as you can and, and reduce caffeine, especially coffee. Is alcohol gone too? Yeah. Yeah. You know, temporarily for the four weeks. No shot of tequila? <laughs> no, no, no. You keep the margarita for later. You yeah. Keep Keep it virgin. But yeah, so, you know, when you just do it for a while and then you reintroduce the foods, you know which one is the culprit. And the whole book, the new book, is all based on the elimination diet. So it doesn't use any of those foods. So that's a really great starting point. And a lot of women experience right away, like even for example, just to give you an example, like we get a lot of feedback saying that the minute they reduced caffeine in their diet, not just completely cutting out, but just reducing, especially drinking coffee on an empty stomach before a meal, how much their periods have gotten much better or their hot flashes have reduced is pretty amazing. So, you know, you mentioned herbs. I mean, the herbs that I, um, I try to stay away from, I mean, we do have it in that in the book addressing, for example, if you have heavy periods, what herbs can help, but those are a little bit of benefits. So like if you have heavy periods, I talk about, for example, an herb like yarrow, which is an astringent, it reduces the blood flow to the uterus to reduce your period. But really you want to look more upstream and say, why am I having a heavy period in the first place? And if it's estrogen dominance, we want to help then the issue becomes, okay, what herbs can I do to support uh, my estrogen detoxification? Because most of the time that is a problem, right? Or if you're low on progesterone, because that's another, there's two types of estrogen dominance, right? Is either one, are you breaking them down those estrogens in an unfavorable way? And that's an unfavorable ratio of estrogen. Too much estrogen is compared to progesterone, right? So this herbal solution would kind of depend on which one you have. And you can establish that by testing is one of the easiest way to obviously to see that. So the first one, if it's the liver and it needs some support and the metabolism of estrogen needs support, then you do things that support the liver. So like some of my favorite herbs would be things like dandelion root, burdock root, schizandra, turmeric, calendula, artichoke leaf. As you see, all of those, most of these herbs are very bitter in nature, right? So, you know, anything that's bitter will cause the release of the bile, 
and also will support deliver in a huge way. So bitters all around are amazing. On the other hand, like if you have the kind of estrogen dominance that progesterone is low, then incorporating things like chaseberry, also known as Vitax, is just a wonderful herb that natively, naturally pr promotes. It doesn't have, it doesn't contain progesterone, but it basically stimulates your own body's the corpus luteum to produce its own progesterone. In Germany, in fact, Vitex is used as the first go-to method by physicians, like regular physicians. We're not talking about a functional doc even. And it's covered by insurance, believe it or not. So if a woman walks in and says, hey doc, I've been having, this is my third miscarriage in the first trimester, or I can't get pregnant, or I'm having hot flashes, and he, if the doc suspects it's low progesterone, the first go-to method is actually Vitex. And so it's incredibly well-researched in the German uh, pharmacopoeia. And that's my absolute favorite go-to for fixing. I love that. I love that. And, and here's the thing is women can have both. You could absolutely have a liver that needs a little bit of help and you could have decreased progesterone levels because you're 43 years old, you know, so you can absolutely have both. And so I love the idea of having herbs for, for supporting the liver. What are some of your favorite foods too that, cause I think this is about consistency. If, if, you know, when you're talking about your liver is consistently trying to do this job. So I think that we consistently need to help our liver out. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that. Like, just like our bile, we need to help our bile do its job too. Yeah, totally true. And you know, it, it kind of uh, it irritates me a great deal when I hear uh, people say that, you know, I, I do this deep detox two times a year. And then, and so people go on these crazy detoxes. Some of them are good. Some of them are just kind of crazy, like drinking, you know, juices, like sweet juices, three times a day and nothing else. And it's just like, whoa, what, what are you doing to your blood sugar yeah, levels? Yeah, it's called insulin resistance. Is right, what it's called. right. Or having to buy like a lot of products that cost like a thousand dollars, right? And, and very, very questionable ingredients in it. But here's the point about those detoxes is that if you're doing a detox that's really well-documented and I don't mind that, but doing a detox is a little bit like saying, doing only two detoxes a year and saying that's all you did do for your liver. It's like, a bit like saying, I just clean my house two times a year on boxing day and I do spring cleaning. And other than that, you never have a cleaning lady coming, right? You don't, you don't tidy up your kitchen at all, right? You just do it twice a year. I mean, just imagine your house, right? If that was the case. And so I feel exactly to your point, I was just nodding when you, and smiling when you said that, because you can make every single meal, a meal that supports your liver, right? And so my favorite ways to do this, and I do this on a daily basis. In fact, on my counter, I'm in my kitchen right now, on my counter, I have a whole bunch of radishes and uh, rutabaga and um, daikon and turnips and such, and I'm going to roast them tonight. I'm going away on a vacation, so I'm just going to create a whole bunch of like meals and take it with me. So that's like, you know, radishes, right? Anything, all the cruciferous vegetables are incredibly supportive towards the liver. And so here we're talking about like, this is the brassica family, cabbage family, right? So all the cabbages and especially purple cabbage is so much actually better than the green cabbage in that way. And then you know, and your broccoli sprouts and, and cauliflower and broccoli sprouts and broccoli and, and rape and uh, cauliflower and arugula. So one word of advice here, like if you're still eating a salad every day with lettuce in it, get rid of the lettuce. There's like nothing good about lettuce. It's not like nothing hurtful about it, but it's just nutritionally, it's a very weak food. So instead replace that with mustard greens, with arugula, you know, and baby kale or even just sprinkle it in, like put some arugula in there, put some mustard greens in there, add more bitterness. I mean, that's just like really one simple fix. The other one that is huge for the liver are beets, you know? And so beets are 
again, I also have beets on my countertop. I'm just going to roast them as well. And, um, and just slicing them in and adding to, to your salad is just incredibly uh, powerful food for your liver. The other thing is, you know, one of the, let me just show you also one of the recipes that we have in my book is see, one of the things that is kind of cool is the fact that I kind of brought a lot of foods from my travels around the world and having lived around the world. And one of them is called the morning elixir. And the morning elixir is basically a turmeric ginger kind of a drink. And you do the first thing in the morning. So this is the morning elixir. So it's just beautiful, you know, bright uh, from the turmeric. Which you, I also have a recipe for if you're using dry turmeric. But it's basically turmeric, ginger, and lime or lemon juice that you just do like a little shot of that, like the way you will do tequila. You just shoot that first thing in the morning, right? And it is so good for the liver. It's alkalizing for your body. It gets your saliva going. So you're preparing a whole digestion for for receiving food and extracting the most of it and producing enzymes natively and not depending on pills. And so just really simple things like that, you know, that uh, you can incorporate. And I also say like, like zucchini or, or, or cucumbers, for example, again, very popular vegetables in our diet, nothing wrong with them. But, you know, if you weren't, you're going to get a lot more benefit from slicing up a bit of turnips, a little bit of radishes into your salad or food. I like roasting them too, because they're just like kind of, the heat produces, you know, the, the sugars kind of come out and so they become really nice and, and uh, sweet, but they still have better quality to them. So just simple things like that that we can do on a daily basis that you really want to support your liver like that every day and not just be depending on like some deep detox you're doing, you know, once a year, whatever it is. I agree. And I mean, sometimes it's nice to have that little reset. You know, we we have a program where we do it. It's an elimination, some some of all the things and really about focusing on that that liver. But the intention for me in that program, and I, I'm always trying to really hint that is like, this is how one needs to eat. I just I'm trying to gear you up for like the majority of this is the way we should be doing it. But at the end of the day, we're being exposed to, you know, fake estrogens. Our liver is having is bombarded by a lot of other tasks. It's it's the hardest working, probably one of the hardest working organs in the body. And at the end of the day, it's about daily consistency. You know, yeah, give yourself a little bit of a reset, but then apply and adopt a lot of those strategies like every single day, you know, from the teas that you're drinking to the salads that you're making, the foods that you're eating, the key herbs and supplements that you're taking. This is a daily practice. And our liver will, in your body, will thank you for it for many, many years to come, not just getting the estrogen dominance under control, but getting inflammation under control. So that's what I love so much about this book that you've written, Magdalena, is that yes, we're addressing the estrogen dominance concern, but we're also addressing the bigger, even the bigger thing, which is, you know, cancer thrives on inflammation disease is thriving on inflammation and you adopt a lot of the practices in this book, you get your hormones under control, you get your body in the right position. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I, that's what I, I mean. I know it. Okay. Where can we get the book? Where I'm, And it's gorgeous. Oh my gosh, you guys. I mean, talk about such a comprehensive. And if you haven't grabbed her book, Cooking for Hormone Balance, I know we're not supposed to be talking about that book today, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's one of the best books out there when it comes to cooking for hor your hormones. It's beautiful. It's just, it's so comprehensive. These two books are such beautiful companions. Where can we get the newest one? You know, I think the simplest thing is just get on Amazon enter estrogen dominance, then the book will, it will show up. For people who are overseas, you can go to the title of the book, overcomingestrogendominance.com. We do international shipping from there. The shipping might be more than the book itself, but that's just, we are just 
that's what FedEx is quoting us and we're just passing on the cost. So yeah, there's nothing I can do about that. And if you're not sure, you're listening to this and you're like, gosh, a lot of that sounds really a lot like me, but you want to dive a little bit deeper. Magdalena has a quiz. I'm going to have the link in there as well. How estrogenic are you? And it's going to be overcoming estrogen dominance quiz. And so I'll have the link for that inside. And then I will have the link for Amazon as well for the book. Anywhere else you want us to go find you? I mean, I think those, those are good places. You know, Hormones Balance is my main website. And if you want to follow us on social, it's Hormones Balance, Hormones Within Us, Hormones Balance on Facebook. And hormone without the S, hormone balance on Instagram. I'll have those as well. I so appreciate you. I love that you wrote this book. I love that we are finally addressing, and like I said, a, a hormone issue that a lot of us, we have it. We just don't know what's going on. And I'll tell you what, birth control isn't making it any better. And if anything, birth control is just burning your liver even more. So I'm super excited to get this book out. To I can't wait to get my copy. And I can't wait to put it all over Instagram so that other women go grab their copies. Thank you so much for coming on, my dear. Thank you so much for um, you know spreading the word, really, because I feel like it's a really underestimated, under-talked topic. And so you're doing such a big favor to uh, service to so many, so many women just getting the word out. So thank you for doing that. As you learned in this conversation today, when it comes to estrogen dominance, there's a lot to unpack but I hope that this interview sheds light on some of the most common signs and symptoms and provides you with natural remedies for reducing estrogen dominance, especially with key foods and herbs. Now, if you're wondering if you're dealing with estrogen dominance, like so many women are, especially as we hit our mid-30s and beyond, I want you to have a plan for reversing it naturally. And that's why I'm recommending that you order Magdalena's newest book, Overcoming Estrogen Dominance, because it is phenomenal and fully comprehensive and it's a gorgeous book. But if you're considering that there may be an issue with an increase in estrogen in your body, remember estrogen is a proliferative hormone and it can become out of balance due to the liver or the gut, so many different areas. And it's just one to really look out for because we do know that it could drive other conditions down the road. Now, I will have the link to her book in the show notes for this episode, which is 262. And again, I'll be talking about it in mine, The Essential Oils Menopause Solution, but nowhere near as comprehensive as her book. Now, I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. In the upcoming episode, I am jumping on to kick off my newest book, The Essential Oils Menopause Book with an episode dedicated to discovering how to shatter menopause myths in disruptive hot flashes and energy crashes and to rev up your metabolism. So basically, this episode is for any woman in perimenopause and menopause, so 40s, 50s, and beyond, where you are looking to really hone in on how to love up on your body by using really powerful natural solutions. I'm looking forward to the next episode. I remember when I kicked off my last book here on the podcast back in February, February 12th, 2019. It went on to become a national bestseller. Super excited that I'm here again today, a little over two years to kick off this book and to celebrate with you. Until then, have an amazing week and I'll see you then. 